how many emotions do you have? If you were to count them up, how many different emotions do you have? Do you think? If you had to give it a number. That's a question. But what do you think? 50? Okay, I got 50. Too many to count? 20? Okay. According to the American Association of Psychologists, we humans have 34,000 emotions. Now you know why you're so tired. You're so wore out, right? This emotional wheel is just a small sampling that they often use in counseling us when we go and have a conversation with them. I think many of us are stuck in our emotions. I believe that our culture does not understand how we feel, those emotions, which means we don't know how to move forward in how we interact with one another and how we live our lives. And I believe that God has a solution that perhaps potentially will unlock your life in a way never has been before. I'm about to teach something starting today and into this series that I've never taught before and I've experienced for the very first time in the summer of 22. Beginning on the island of Sanibel where God has a tendency to meet me and shape me and reframe who I am as a man, I began to lean into this space of my emotions, how I felt. And I began to look to see what does God have to say about it. And then in the study, if we've got 34,000 different emotions, I believe that God would have something for us so that we aren't stuck, trapped in how we feel. With that said, if you'll grab your Bible and join me in John chapter 12 and on the big Bible on the screen, I'd like to, as a backdrop, share perhaps the most tragic story in the Bible, the story of Judas Iscariot, a man who did not understand his emotions, didn't know what to do with his feelings, and it cost him everything. And I think there's many of us who feel something, an emotion, and we're stuck. And perhaps because of this environment, the spiritual environment, we tell ourselves, you shouldn't feel that, you're a Christian, all the different things we would say to ourselves, we further go down into this toxicity of our thoughts, and we just don't know how do we move forward from here. The Bible says in John chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. As we look at these scriptures, I want you to notice the emotions that begin to bubble up. Mark this down. Emotions, how you feel, drives behavior. Emotions drive behavior. How you feel, right? It's even been said, right? I don't know. I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and you're acting out, you're behaving in that day. You're not really sure why. Or it's been said, 
she, he just wears his emotions on his sleeve, right? It's just kind of just there. We don't have to be just there. But know this, your emotions drive behavior. If you are the parent of a child, you get this. Children are not yet mature, right? And because they do not know how to deal with their emotions, how they feel, we call them a tantrum. I realize some of you are children of 42-year-olds, and they have not grown out of this yet. But you get it. Our emotions drive behavior. Notice in this passage. They were having a dinner that was given in Jesus' honor because Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. They're happy. They're joyful. Like, yeah, our brother who was dead is now alive. This is good. Emotions drive behavior. Martha served while Lazarus was amongst them, reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. She has the emotion of gratitude. And that emotion is driving her behavior. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He's got a different kind of emotion. He's disgusted. He's angry. He's bitter. Notice, why wasn't this perfume sold, the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. His emotions, in his mind, are rational. You just wasted, think about your annual salary, you just wasted an entire year salary we could have done something good for the poor he's angry emotions drive behavior let your eyes drop down to verse 7 Jesus says leave her alone Jesus is now responding emotionally he has a sense of sensitivity he feels what's been said. He can imagine how she might feel marginalized and less than. So he says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. He has a sense of pride. She understands that, that this is an appropriate sacrifice. Emotions drive behavior. Flip over in your Bible to the next chapter, John 13. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. It's an emotionally driven decision. I wonder how many of us are in a place today that we wish we were not in this place, or we've got some baggage from days gone by, because you felt something, and that something, that emotion it drove your behavior. Matthew chapter 26, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Your emotions drive your behavior. Matthew 26 and 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him with a large crowd armed with swords and clubs and sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer 
had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Judas feels justified. He, he is setting a wrong and making it right. He's turning an injustice into justice because your emotions drive your behavior. Going to the one Jesus said, Jesus said to Judas, uh, friend, do what you have come to do. Then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Now notice what happens next. Notice how emotions drive behavior. With that, one of Jesus' companions, Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Peter feels weak. He feels insecure, fear, threatened. So he, emotionally, he moves on his emotions because emotions drive behavior. Matthew 27, a big Bible on the screen. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, watch the emotion that drives behavior, seized with remorse. It's just an emotion. He's filled with remorse. It drives behavior. He returns the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He says, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. I am telling you, there is nothing more devastating in our lives, in your marriage, in your family, in our city, in our county, in our country, than being trapped in your emotions. What we're seeing, what we're experiencing, the dis disconnect, the toxicity in our lives is because we are like Judas. We do not know how to get unstuck from our emotions. You feel it. It's real, and you're not sure what to do next. And then we come to gatherings like this, right? And the Word of God, Jesus, says something like this in John 16. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And peace is the ultimate emotion. Most of us, we, we don't have peace. We're stressed out. We're worried. I know Jesus offers peace, but I know we sing about peace, but we pray about it. We, we know we're supposed to, but in Matthew chapter 6, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, but we do. We're all worried about what's going to happen in the economy. We're worried about what's going to happen with our kids. And we're worried about, I don't know, is it going to be monkeypox that's going to get us next? I mean, we're just worried, worried, worried what's going to happen in, in the world. Jesus offers peace, but we live stressed out. And although you might not have hung yourself literally, I would suggest that many of us, because of our emotions, we've hung our freedom financially. We've made decisions. We have tried to spend our way back into emotional health. 
we have slept with, we have been with people who we thought if, if she would like me or he would accept me, if I gave myself to her, if I gave myself to him, then my sense of emotional, how I feel stuck would change. We've hung ourselves relationally. We've hung ourselves professionally. We've done things, said things to employees or employers because we're not sure what to do with our emotions. If you've got to number, number two pencil, I want to give just a couple ideas to put into play as we get set up to walk through this Bible study over the next several weeks and however long God, Holy Spirit, has us in this series. Here's the first thing that Judas didn't understand about his emotions is he did not guard his heart. He, he didn't understand it's important, it's valuable to protect your heart. Why? Because out of your heart, it is the seat of emotions. It's where you feel. I love Linda with all my liver. Linda, I love you with all of my kidneys. I love you with all of my heart. It's the seat of our emotions. Now you know why there's something called Hallmark cards. They're not based in reality, they're based in your emotions. They say that whatever it is. Now you understand Valentine's Day. It's based in emotions. Now you understand that there is something inside of us that's powerful. That's a great influencer. May I suggest your emotions, how you feel, guides you more than how you think. Or what you know. The Bible says in Proverbs 4 and 23, above all else, in other words, make this a high priority. Guard your heart for everything you do, how you live, how you love, how you spend your cash, uh, your hobbies, your relationships, the words that you say, the attitudes, where you go, your college, your choices, everything you do, it proceeds, it flows out of this heart of mine. The Bible also teaches us in Jeremiah, be careful. Oh, ho, 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 be careful. The heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. Who can know it? If we stopped right now and we started right over here with, with Grayson and went all the way across the room, back this way, back this way, back this way, back, worked our way all the way over here and stopped with you, coach, right? And, and I had each one of you stand and tell us a story about a time when you followed your heart because it felt so good. And if it felt so good, how could it be so wrong until you got on the other side of that decision? That's why the Bible says you guard your heart. We guard our heart by bringing the word of God in. We invite the spirit to guide us, direct us to to reframe our thoughts and our minds. We get in community with small groups who people can say, hey, listen, I, I, I know you're feeling that way, but, right, guarding your heart. Proverbs 17 and 22, the Bible says, speaking about the heart, a cheerful disposition is good for your heart. Or some Bible versions say, a, a, a healthy heart, a happy heart is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. Why? Because your emotions... Your emotions, your feelings are 
powerful. They can make it the best of the days, and they can make it the worst of the days. So guard your heart. Here's the second thing if you're writing things down is this, is separate what you can control from what you can't control. Judas is focusing on what he couldn't control. Mary, who had an experience with Jesus, her dead brother is now alive. So inside of her, a sense of praise and worship begins to bubble up out of her, and she gives this sacrifice of perfume on Jesus. Listen, you cannot control someone else's experience with Jesus and think you can minimize their praise and their worship. Judas is focusing on what he can't control. You focus too often on what you, what's going on at work and what your boss says or what's happening in the economy or what's happening in Washington, D.C. or what the legislation... Li listen, we've got to learn how to focus on what we can control and not what we can't control. I can control my effort. I can't control how my boss recognizes it. I can't control whether or not I would get a promotion or a raise, but I can control how I choose to show up on time, or better said, early at work. I can control on returning an email that was sent to me, responding to a text. If I made a commitment to have it by a certain... I can control my effort. I can't... You can't control the outcome. Coach, you can control the effort. You can lead the boys in practice, but you can't control the outcome. We have to learn to focus on what we can control, what we can't control. There's disease in the world. I know it kind of sprung on us a couple years ago that, oh, wow, wait a second, I mean there's even a, a viral disease that can go around? Of course, there's, there's disease everywhere. You and I can, cannot control a particular bacterial or viral infection that's traveling around the world. But what you and I can control is this. One, we can control our sleep. You actually can go to bed at night. There's actually a button on the remote control that can turn off Netflix and you can actually climb under the covers and get an eight-hour sleep. You actually can drink as much water as you want. You can be fully hydrated. You actually can choose to eat a healthy nutrition plan. You actually can make these choices, right? You can't control what kind of bacteria and viruses and all the kind of crazy, you know, what I inherited from my Mima, my papa, and people beyond my Mima and papa. I, 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 can't, I can't handle all the environment. But let me tell you something. I can focus on what I can control. Judas is focusing on the wrong thing. The Bible says this in Matthew 20, 23 and 26. Blind Pharisees. Now I know we wouldn't call ourselves Pharisees, but listen, to know God's word and do the opposite of God's word is the definition of a Pharisee. So my name is Mark. I love you. I want to be your friend. I want to be on your Christmas card list. But hear me. If you know God's word and you ain't doing God's word, hashtag tattoo it, Pharisee. We're friends. I didn't say it. I'm just saying if you know God's word, you choose not to do God's word. So he says to them and to us, blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish 
and then the outside also will be clean. He says, do the internal work first. Don't get all jazzed up on putting your Sunday best on. All those nice little conversations and cleaning up and making sure all the F-bombs stayed off of the campus because we didn't want anybody to know that we can cuss like that. Make sure no one is sick. Let's make sure everything externally looks good. Me, Jesus, we good. He said, clean the inside. Now understand, back to the American Association of Psychologists. Aren't you so glad that there's an American Association of Psychologists? They actually call this the locus of control. A locus of control. That basically, there's, there's two focal points for control. It's either an internal locus of control or it's an external. Our culture is adrift because the majority of decisions that are made by people that are in authority, parents, teachers, pastors, coaches, business owners, politicians focus on the external locus of control that we're just a we're victims how things happen to us i really don't have any control why really bother it doesn't really matter right internal control what jesus was teaching is that we need to understand i can be in control of what's happening on the inside of me the internal locus of control I can make things happen. What someone else does externally does not impact me internally. Because I didn't do what someone thought or somebody didn't do what I thought, it doesn't minimize or marginalize my identity, the value of who I am. Psychologists might call this locus of control. The Bible simply says that we live from the inside out. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, therefore, as a result of all this, we do not lose heart. Why don't we lose heart? We don't let our emotions drag us away. Why? Though outwardly, we are wasting away. The external circumstances, the chaos, the injustice, how unfair things are happening externally, that's not our focus because inwardly, we are being renewed day by day but we're stuck. We're stuck. You're stuck in your emotions. You're stuck in how you feel, and that's why we continue to do the same thing over and over and over because, and this is the new learning for me this summer, for 57 years, as a United States Marine, as an athlete, as a boy who grew up in a very chaotic home, I was bent on making sure that, there, that my little 20 square feet was in control. No one was going to outwork me, outdiscipline me, right? Shame on you if you hurt me. Shame on me if I let you hurt me twice. And so I was convinced I have lived 57 years of my life until this summer believing that I could control those emotions. The contempt that I have for my father that I could control it, that I could bottle it up. The hurt and the rejection of growing up in that home, the, the sense of betrayal in my heart of what it means simply to be a pastor and what church-going folks will do to a pastor and his family. I thought I could bottle all that up. I could control it, 
and it won't have no effect on me. And I want you to know something. I'm a pretty strong man. And I doubt there's anybody in this room that did an ice bath this morning like I did. Anybody? I can't control my emotions, and you can't control your emotions. And you can look from Genesis to Revelation, and nowhere in the Bible does it say we are called by God to control our emotions. You cannot control your emotions, but what the Bible does say is you can challenge your thinking. Because thinking drives emotions, drives behavior. The reason the behavior has never changed is we have stayed stuck in the emotions. We have tried to change the emotions thinking that it would change the behavior. But until you go back to the thinking process and you challenge how you think and change how you think and develop a plan, you will remain stuck in your emotions. That's exactly where Judas Iscariot is. He's stuck in his emotions. He even comes to the conclusion, I have sinned. If he would have just pivoted from his emotions and thought about it and challenged his thinking, the plan has been given by God. Repent. Believe with your heart and you will be saved. He didn't have to miss out on eternity. He knew that he had sinned, but because he was stuck in his emotions, his behavior didn't pivot to Jesus. It became a noose around his neck. So here's what you got to do. Because you can't change your emotions, we've got to learn how to validate our emotions. Those emotions might seem that you have or someone else has, they might seem crazy, they might seem far-fetched, and that might be true in the thinking process, but to the person who's experiencing those emotions, they are real. They are rational. Don't challenge emotions. This is a big tip. I'm helping you. Because in the workplace, if you manage people, you've tried to change, you've tried to challenge how they feel. I've had, I have tried to change how Linda feels about something, and, and nothing really happens. Because we don't challenge emotions, we validate them. An emotion is just a one-word feeling. Anger, fear, happy joy, satisfied, it's disgust, it's bitter, it's marginalized, it's pleasure, it's bored, it's confused, it's grief, it's forgotten. You validate, I feel, and you validate that. The Bible says in Proverbs, Proverbs 18 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And you feel something, and then inside your mind, you start beating yourself up and telling yourself how no good I am, and I shouldn't be doing that, and you should be doing this. And all you're doing is tearing yourself down. Validate. Validate how you feel, your emotions. My emotions, they're not good or bad, right or wrong, positive or negative. They're just 
a thing, and here's the key. You've thought that anxiety is evil and it's wrong and it's worry and worry and all those different emotions. I'm going to tell you something. Anxiety is your friend. Worry, fear, anger, sorrow, grief is your friend. Here we are, stuck in our emotions. We're feeling this, right? And we think that it's wrong and, and, and it's upset. And so then we try to fix it. We try to numb it. We try to ignore it. We feel it. It's real. And then we try to medicate it. Rather, God has a plan for your emotions. He has a plan for that hurt and that sorrow and that grief and that loneliness and bitterness and all of those feelings that you've got. They're given to pivot us to Jesus. To turn us in that emotion and in that feeling to turn us back to him because he's the only one who can satisfy it. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, then Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, stressed out, anxious, worried, marginalized, broken heart and injustice done against you, inequity, all of that pain and hurt and sorrow. He says, come to me. All you are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. First Peter 5 and says, and he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We have an epidemic today in anxiety. And it's not any different in the church and in the community. We're, 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 we're anxious we're, we're worried about, well, what, 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 what if I don't get married? And what if my spouse cheats? And what, 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 what if the economy goes bad? And what if the election and all of a sudden, and what if I lose my job? And what, what if college? And what if I don't have enough money? And what if my what, 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 what? <laughs> Because we're stuck in our emotions. You've thought that you can change how you feel. You can't change how you feel. You validate it. I feel insecure. I feel hurt. I feel angry. And hear me, I wish I'd have known this. I have failed so bad in the area of, of, of relationships because the Marine in me, right? Square your, sit up in your chair, square your shoulders back, and be in control of your feelings. And people just shut down rather than pausing and saying, you feel hurt. That's okay. It's not wrong. Validate it. You validate that emotion. You name it. Then you begin to examine the thoughts that are driving it. You begin to expose the thoughts 
behind it. And this is where we will spend the time in our series and how the Bible outlines for us your thinking drives your feelings, which drives behavior. I'm for people. We, we are for people at Church of Hope. But we're in a culture today that has elevated feelings and emotions to the pinnacle. We have come to a place where we say, how you feel is the height of reality. Judas Iscariot felt something. He felt disgust. He felt rage. This is so wrong. And he stayed stuck in his feelings and he lost his life. I know it's sensitive and I'm, I'm for families, but it's becoming not just something on the evening news. We deal with it now in our children's ministry. We deal with it in student ministry. A five-year-old goes home and says to mom and dad, I, 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 I feel like I'm a, I'm a little girl and not a boy. And the way culture is shaping parents and grandparents, that at that moment, immediately, you need to take your child to the doctor and begin on sex reversal hormones. And hear what we're doing. A five-year-old who still thinks Santa Claus comes on December 25th somehow has the mental capacity to understand that they are really a girl and not a boy. Validate the feeling. Validate the emotion. Okay, honey. I, you, you feel like a little girl? Okay. It's okay. Validate it. We got too many Christians running around wanting to cross their arms and give a sermon of hate to people who are at a place that only the Spirit of God can do the work. We validate. But then we come back and we begin to work our way through the thinking process. What are the thoughts that are driving behind? Validate the emotion. Emotions are real. Emotions to the person are, are rational. We come back to the thinking process where we begin to look and ask questions and we begin to change our mind because you can change your mind, you can create a plan, and the plan begins to minimize the emotion. Matthew 6 and 34, the Bible says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Wouldn't you like to just go live that way? Wouldn't you like to walk off this campus, out of this air-conditioned space, into the 1,674 degree heat that's out in the parking lot and just say, I ain't got nothing to worry about no more. Oh, I might feel the worry because it's hot. I, I might feel anxious because the world is kind of crazy, but I'm going to learn how to come back in and to challenge how I think and to change how I think because Romans chapter 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test 
and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. PMC version, you can't watch CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, no more. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. Too often, emotionally, we pick the little pieces that justify how we feel. You feel angry. You feel insecure. So anybody who's not behaving the way that you think they should behave, you let them have it. You let them know how God is mad at them. Let me tell you something. God ain't mad at anybody. God sent his son Jesus, who died on the cross, to pay the penalty of the sins of all people. Our role is to walk into people's lives, validate how they feel, validate, okay, I, I get it, you feel this way, and build depth of a relationship where we can begin to talk about the thought process that's going on that leads to those emotions, that leads to the behavior. Now, let me be clear. There is coming a day. The Bible says after we die, we stand before God, and then there is judgment. Oh, there will be a day where every human being will be held accountable for whether or not they embraced the sacrifice of Jesus God who died the most cruel death imaginable on the cross for my freedom and your freedom. And let me just say out loud, PMC's opinion. At that judgment seat, I think those of us who claim to be Christians because we said something with our lips and our lives say something altogether different, I think the judgment is going to be at a whole nother level than the person who might behaved, thought, voted, identify, acted in a way on this side of eternity that somehow you thought that was so immoral and so unjust because there is nothing more immoral. There is nothing more cruel than someone who says with their lips that they believe that Jesus died on their cross, but it does not impact how they live, how they spend their money, how they have their time, the, the decisions they have with their life. I got a challenge how we think. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's where we're going. It's the set of, I want everybody to be free of their emotions. I want all, we're all going to learn how we can have the mindset of Christ. Christ lived in a chaotic time. Christ was innocent. He was unjustly tried. He had things said about him. He had things done against him that were completely wrong. But because he didn't live out of an emotional self. He understood in his mind. He knew that this was God's plan. He was able to think and change how he thought, which impacted his emotions, which impacted his behavior. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought to make it obedient. We take captive every thought. We take captive. We arrest. We arrest every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We timed that absolutely perfectly. It was from God. Thank you, my Father in heaven. You've been sitting for a while. Why don't you stand with me? Stretch your legs out just a smidget. I'm going to pray over us. I'm really excited where we're going. You know, when you learn something or, or, or you go to a new restaurant and you taste yourself some, some golden lacing chicken wings, man, your taste buds start dancing with delight. Man, you text and you tell everybody about it, right? You got to go, oh my goodness, this is so good, right? That's how I feel from this summer, learning and experiencing from, from God's word. And I'm really looking forward to where we're headed in this, in this Bible study because we don't need to be stuck in our emotions any longer. And this is going to set you up in the marketplace as well. A lot of the dissatisfaction at work where most of us spend the majority of our time if you'll learn, and I'm going to teach it as clearly as I can, Holy Spirit, help me. If you learn how to validate employer or employees or customer clients in a world with shortage, with supply chain issues, with all the issues, we just start the day kind of fired up. I'm going to teach you how to set yourself apart. Parents, Grandparents, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to teach you. Listen, I know you love your kids, but hear me. 2022 and going forward, uh, what I'm about to say is strong. Forgive me, you might not agree with me. It's okay. I could be wrong. The America that you knew is gone. It's dead. It's never coming back. So you've got to make a decision. Am I going to prepare my sons and my daughters for an America where IQ test? Right, how intelligent they were, or make sure they go to college so they get a certain degree. And I'm for degrees, go to college. I've got too many degrees. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm for all that. Athletic, um, SAT scores. Let me tell you, the most important skill set that you will be able to impart in your children is emotional intelligence. You want to set yourself apart, even today, in the marketplace. You set yourself up and you don't blow up and get upset and all the craziness that's going around you. You show up with an emotionally intelligent understanding. I can validate this customer, this client, my boss, my employees. I can validate how they feel. I don't have to beat them up about it, but I'm going to come over here. I'm telling you, go set yourself apart. That's how powerful. God's word isn't just for Sunday. God's word is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. In your spouse, how many times have you said, man, my, Linda, you're just being so emotional. Exactly. Let's validate it. Now let's have a conversation about it. I got to stop. I'm see, I get all excited. You're going to give me another wing. Pass us a wing. Right. Father in heaven, I love you. 
thank you for your word. It is intoxicating, and it's so good to be drunk in your Holy Spirit, to feel that sense of truth in a world that's marked by lies. Bless these men and women. God, all the Christ followers that are here today, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you be just give them that sense of release, that that emotion that they've been feeling, it's real. And they don't have to try to change it. They're not less of a person because of they feel it. But Holy Spirit, would you take us back into our mindset that we would challenge how we think, change how we think. And God, if there's a man or woman here today who's never become a follower right now, would you change how they think? Perhaps they thought, God, that they could follow you at a later date. Or they had to clean up their life. But hear me, if you are here today and you've never become a follower of Jesus, change how you think. You are ruining your life waiting on your emotions to feel a certain way, then you'll follow after Jesus. Choose Jesus right where you're standing or online. Have a conversation. Something like, Jesus, forgive me. I've sinned. I can't fix me. And I'm stuck. I believe, Jesus, that you died on that cross. And I believe, Jesus, that you came alive again. And today I choose you as my Savior. And to all who are praying that prayer, welcome to God's family. Father, bless them. Protect this decision. Watch over them. Continue to grow us. To have the freedom and the peace of mind that you have given to your people. I sure do love you. It's in your name. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.